unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing better, I think, than a lot of people are, but... uh, (laughs) Nathan, I wanted to show you this beautiful new mask my girlfriend got me. This one, well, we're actually a thousand miles apart, so we don't, we're already socially distanced enough, but I just want everyone to know I'm with the program. Okay. It's hard to fit a face mask on over your head. Yes, I hadn't rehearsed that. I didn't know that was going to be the case, but you're, you're very astute to point that out. Podcast listeners are like, why did David get muffled for a second there? Yes. It was because of the mask. <laughs> so what do we have on the agenda for today's podcast episode? Okay, I want to talk about something I've never heard anyone talk about. We've certainly never talked about it. And I'll start by telling you about a really intriguing email I got. Now, you know, we've talked before about how I'm an electronic musician and I have all these weird virtual instruments. Well, I got this email that led me to a website and before I even read this, I'm going to say, I, I own a lot of virtual instruments from this guy, and he's really quirky. He's really bizarre in a good way. I think he's brilliant, and he's just like says he's found a way to get away with saying what's ever on his mind at any time and still making a living, which I guess is what all expressive people would like to do. But anyway, the email led to a website, and the copy started like this. Look, I know. Everyone hates saxophones, and with good reason, excluding Colin Stetson's amazing work and Tom Waits, of course. I also tend toward hating on saxophones myself. But is it really fair to judge an instrument by its past misdemeanors? The guy's a Brit. Can the sax be rehabilitated and made sexy again? Here at Sound Us, we say, hell yes! Okay, I'll tell you more about this soon. And for now, I want to point out that this was just not negative copy and very inflammatory. It's not just hater copy. This was a complaint, a complaint about saxophones. Now, whether you like saxes, hate them, or have no opinion about saxes, there's really a good lesson in this copy. And it has to do with something, like I said, we've never really covered on this podcast, even though this technique is used all the time and quite successfully. I'll add, the technique is what I'm going to call complaint copywriting. It's called complaint copywriting. But here's something I'm reasonably sure no one would ever complain about. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy, for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So jumping into complaint copywriting, what is it and why should you care? Well, complaint copywriting has to do with finding customer complaints, stating them out loud in your copy, or at least implying them strong enough so that your prospects will experience them, and then selling the opposite of the complaint. 
for my annoying yet dear friends who love to play with words, we're not talking about compliant copywriting, which looks spelled almost the same, which has become increasingly important, but refers to something else entirely. We're talking about complaint copywriting. And here is why complaint copywriting is so important. At its heart, I would say copy is about two things in a conversational format. First, disqualification of the people you don't want as customers. You could say, and I would agree, that the people you don't want are often the people who don't have the complaints that the people you do want have, but not all the time. So first thing, disqualification. Second thing, though, and this is where it gets tricky, is argumentation in an agreeable, persuasive way. Argumentation in an agreeable, persuasive way. And one of the problems with this is that a lot of copywriters really don't understand how to agree, how to argue agreeably. That's either because they're basically agreeable people, and so by their very nature, they don't like to argue, or they're basically argumentative people, more often the case with copywriters, who aren't very good at being agreeable, okay? But without agreeable argumentation, your copy is most likely not going to be very persuasive. And this is where complaint copywriting comes in. With complaint copywriting, you can disagree along with your prospect. And when and this is a little bit like common enemy, but hang in there, it's a little different too. With complaint copywriting, you can disagree along with your prospect and then you turn things around by offering a solution that is not subject to your complaint, that answers and solves the complaint. Then you're that much closer to making a sale. I know that's kind of high level and abstract, so let's get down to cases. The way that I like to think about this is if you're trying to get to a destination with somebody and you're looking at two different maps, there's no way you're going to get there. You have to find the common ground. You have to find where the, the overlap of your maps is at. And it seems like that's kind of what you're getting at. You need to find out where you're on the same page or make them feel like they're on the same page with you in order to get them to where you want them to go. Absolutely, that's right. And there are a lot of ways to do that. But when you can share a complaint with them, and, and I'll explain why in just a second, I think that bonds you closer together and gives more momentum to your journey along that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, complaints are different from ordinary objections in a very important way. The saxophone example is playful and frankly ludicrous. I think so. Anyway, I mean, Nathan, you're a musician. Did you ever know that people hate saxophones? I, I'm split on this. I know that some people detest saxophones, but I also was alive when Bill Clinton got elected. And I think a lot of his election came, to, came down to the fact that he went on Arsenio Hall and played the saxophone, because I think that was one of the most memorable parts of his initial campaign. That's fascinating. I, I really didn't think of that at all. And I, I agree with you. I, I think you're right. Um, well, I did some research that brought up some other things. I talked to award-winning composer, Dr. Doug Pugh, who's been on this podcast a couple times, a veteran guest. And he said there may be some 
Now, he looks at things from the point of view of a conductor and a classical musician, mostly. And he said there may be some prejudice against sax players because it's not a full orchestral instrument. Although Dr. Pugh did mention that there's a lovely Ravel composition using the saxophone. Okay. And in an unguarded moment, Doug made an admission that he actually studied alto sax in middle school. But as you know, he took the path of reason and success after that and became a composer, which forced him to learn to play every instrument in the orchestra. And he also learned to play guitar. So that's the view from uh, the more traditional world of music and lots of good information. But I didn't have my answer. So I turned to my old friend, Bob. This is, this is actually a real person. It's not like um, an example I'm using for a copy. Um, he plays sax. He's played it for 40 years. He plays in several bands. And I thought if anyone would know, he would know. And he said, well, maybe that's because some sax players are real assholes, he mused. But Bob's not one of those guys. He's one of those people nobody hates. But then, again, not all saxophone players are created equal. Frankly, he didn't know for sure either. Um, we finished a conversation with me making a joke about drummers and him making a joke about trumpet players. But the copy for the virtual instrument, the saxophonium, might have been more of a straw man example that puts up a straw man to knock him down than um, a complaint copy of a deeply held one. See, real complaints, you know, universal complaints, they run deep. They're not like garden variety objections. Often an objection could be, I don't like it in green. And the answer to that objection could be, well, we have it in blue. And that might solve it. The objection's out of the way. Pretty simple. Kind of intellectual, maybe a little emotional, but not deeply held. But complaints are often deeply held grievances. People need more than a simple alternative. Sometimes you need to come up with a solution to their problem or a weapon against the problem that is chafing away at your prospect like a burr in his or her side. Well, let, me, let me bring up a few examples. And Nathan, you might have a few too. As I know you have operated in some pretty polarized markets yourself. Um, financial newsletters selling to conservative customers. We're in such a grievance-filled world these days that complaint copywriting is often a winning strategy. I can think of just one example a few years ago, before Trump was president, when Obama was U.S. president, any offer against Obama, anything anti-Obama, get even with Obama, um, you know, outsmart Obama, work around Obama, that turned out to be a huge winner. Even if the offer didn't really have anything to do with Obama, made people feel good that they were sticking it to Obama. So let me give you another example that's not political at all. Let's say you're offering a course, um, some kind of online training program. And you found an easier way for people to learn something that's typically presented as something that's really hard to do. In a case like that, complaint marketing can work really well. Let's say you have an online marketing technique. You're teaching marketing. And most people teach this as a very confusing 14-step process. Now, you can be sure that there are some people who want to learn it, who, who find that really annoying, maybe even threatening, intimidating. Let's say you've come up with a way to teach the same thing, totally legit, 
in three steps. If you're doing that in your copy, you can mention how awful it is that the confusing and even painful 14-step approach to learning is you're voicing your prospects' complaints. And Nathan, let's talk vegetables. I'm one of those people who hates Brussels sprouts. Now, really, there aren't too many things I hate, but Brussels sprouts is one of them. Now, it turns out that Brussels sprouts are one of the several foods called cruciferous vegetables. And these are known to have great antioxidant properties. Now, turns out I like most other cruciferous vegetables, especially kale. I know we have some people who are kale-curious listeners to this podcast, so I will admit I had kale for breakfast this morning and I really enjoyed it. Um, But I don't like cruciferous vegetables as much as chocolate or tacos, but I do like kale. So copy I would react to very positively would that might be promoting some kind of kale product or kale recipe would be get all the powerful antioxidant qualities of Brussels sprouts, but without the nauseating taste. Uh, If the copy were for kale, I would buy on the spot, even though truth told, I have plenty of kale in the house. Surely this is bringing up some ideas in your mind, is it not? The only thing that I'm really thinking of, and I don't know how many copywriters are in this position, but with most of my clients, I take on, I'm obviously their copywriter, but I also take on a larger role as far as business advice goes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that when we're running any kind of promotion, one of the things that I like to do and I advise other people to do if they have this type of influence over their clients is go and find out what people are complaining about. If, if it's for their offer or if it's for similar competing offers, go find out what the biggest complaints are and then interweave that into the creation of their solution. So this is the biggest thing people complain about. Let's intentionally make sure that your offer has something that alleviates that complaint or even directly responds to that complaint with the way that it's designed. And again, not all copywriters have that level of control with their clients. I do with most of my clients. So I'm in, I'm, I guess I'm in a fortunate position, but if you can say not just with the copy, if you can say with the actual creation of the product itself, let's figure out what the biggest complaints are and let's make our product specifically designed around alleviating those complaints. That is a huge way to use this, not just in the copy, but when, you, when it comes time to writing the copy, then you have a whole treasure trove of stuff that you can add into the copy that's not going to be uh, wishy-washy or weaselly. That's great. So I guess it's fair to say that even if maybe you've never heard the term complaint copywriting before, we started this podcast, you're a huge advocate of this approach. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. 
It's tested and proven too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. I wanted to give some rules of thumb about how to put complaint copywriting together. And the first thing is what Nathan said, um, what Nathan does with his clients. And Nathan's clients are pretty successful, so it'd be a good idea to follow in his footsteps. Make a wide-ranging list of what people in your market complain about. I, I might add, you probably say this to your clients, but I don't think you mentioned it explicitly. Search far and wide. Don't just ask your clients Ask their salespeople, look on forums, look on Amazon, look, look, look for, you know, if they have customer service people, ask them, um, find out whatever you can. You know, sometimes people, especially older customers, and I feel like I'm speaking against my own boomer group here when I say this, will call up customer service people just because they're lonely and they want to talk and they may have. They may be very happy with your product, but they want to complain about the other products that they didn't buy or that they bought before. Customer service people know a lot. Okay, another thing is, once you have this huge list, don't use all of them. Yeah, you're right. You can use some of them, but narrow it down to the most common complaints with the greatest emotional charge and involving issues that you can resolve. You don't, It doesn't need to be like a peer-reviewed scientific article where you're going to mention stuff that works against your own interest, just in the interest of academic um, or, or, or integrity. Now, um, that's, that's for a, another publication, another world, really. Um, you might want to know that. But just, just the common complaints with the greatest emotional charge involving issues you can resolve. Um, and the neat thing about complaint copy is you can use it in a bullet. You can use it as a, you know, as, as a, you know, one of the strongest benefits or aspects of a product. You can also use it for, for your um, literal or effective positioning. Um, about, mm, oh my gosh, a long, long time ago, about 12 to 14 years ago, BMW was running ads on TV saying that once you bought the car, you would never have to pay another penny for maintenance or repairs while it was under warranty except for tires and windshield wipers. I, I did a survey once of, of some pretty high-end seminar attendees who all had luxury cars that were not BMWs, and they had to pay thousands of dollars additional a year to maintain their cars and keep it under warranty, and they were pissed. So BMW played that pretty smart, and I think they've gone from a specialty luxury brand to a consumer high-end brand over the course of that time. Uh, so you can use it uh, as narrow or as big as you want. Uh, just make sure that um, it's it's something people feel some heat about and something that you can solve. Um, I want to I want to wrap this up by talking about a few unique things about complaints to point out that a complaint is not an objection. You know, I mean, maybe like a great designer would be offended that something comes in green when it should be in blue. Um, and 
you know, maybe a great cartoonist would too. I don't know if you've ever been offended by a product's color, Nathan, but for the most part, um, most people wouldn't. Complaints, in a way, are a window to the dark side of your prospect's soul. People are willing to lie about a lot of things, but when people complain, they're telling the truth most of the time. Um, I mean, there are some people who just love to be troublemakers and they'll make up complaints they don't really believe in just to see what happens. But that's not the majority of your customers. This is, you know, there I saw one of my friends, actually, I think Janelle Barlow wrote a book called um, A Complaint is a Gift. I, I sort of hate things that that are, are that Pollyanna-ish, but she's right. Um, and a complaint, I would say, is a request in disguise. It's a request in disguise. When someone says, this is horrible, what they're also saying is, I wish this were wonderful instead of horrible, but it would need to change. Now, if you can define and promise what wonderful looks like that they can believe you can provide, you've got a real edge when it comes to making a sale. And the third thing is, you know, let's talk about one of the less enjoyable reasons we get the big bucks. It's almost always unpleasant to hear someone complain. They may sound like they're blaming you, even if they're not. So sometimes you're going to have to pay an emotional price to learning complaints. But from a copywriting point of view, it's worth it. I have one thing I want to add to this. Please do. Make sure the complaints that you're listening to are coming from your actual target market. There are a lot of political activists out there that their entire world is based off of complaining about things that they were never going to buy in the first place. That girl's skirt is too short, or this guy has too much toxic masculinity, or uh, there's not enough diversity in this product. And they love to go on Twitter and they love to go on uh, social media and, and I mean, it's what they do for, for validity or, or self-importance is complaining. But when you make adjustments to appease them, they don't go out and support your product. So make sure that the complaints you're listening to are coming from the people who actually support and not from the people who are just professionally offended. That's a, that's a really good point. And for people who are worried about being politically correct or not, you know, catching too much criticism, I'd urge them to listen to what you just said again, maybe twice, because it's so easy to let self-important critics dissuade you from doing what you and your market know is right. Absolutely. David, this was an intriguing episode. At the beginning, when I was reading through the show notes, I was like, I don't understand the difference between overcoming objections and understanding complaints. And by the end of it, I have a very clear differentiation of, of what the two mean. So I appreciate that and something I've never heard anybody talk about before. Well, I guess I've invented another um, very valuable and totally unmonetizable thing. <laughs> well, the podcast, obviously... I feel like a lot of times we give away on the podcast stuff that other people are charging thousands of dollars in their courses for. So, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm not the best friend because I'm always I'm always egging you on to do more and more hard learning in the podcast. But I'm, I know that people out there listening to it appreciate it. Yeah, I don't mind. I I make a good living. Uh, I think you do too. Um, 
we can afford to do this and it's something I really want to do. So, but you know, if somebody wants to set up a tip jar and I don't know, um, buy us some Clorox wipes or something, that'd be okay. (laughs) Okay. Until next time, if people want to check out more, they can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. Anything else before we're out of here, David? No, I, I want everyone to stay safe and do the best you can to keep your spirits up. I know these are challenging times and things will change. And I'm hoping the change will be for the better. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, man, we will catch you later. See you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.